Thank you for listening to our Emmanuel Baptist Church podcast sermon series by Pastor Sean Cole. Emmanuel exists to display God's glory, declare God's gospel, and to disciple for God's great commission. If you have any questions about this message or would like more information about our church, you can visit our website at www.ebc-online.org. Now here's Pastor Sean. morning, Emmanuel Baptist Church. Uh, I was, I joke with my family that uh, we're modern day gypsies. And so we often are here for a little while and there for a little while. And, you know, we don't have this sense of home. But every time I get to come to Emmanuel Baptist Church, I feel at home. I feel at home primarily because of what drives this church and what drives me and my family is the glory of God. And so this morning, we're going to look at a, a, a portion of Scripture in Romans. And uh, as I was preparing for this, I think it was, it just solidified in my mind as to why I love coming. I mean, Sean knows this, that perhaps the adoption that I have felt here and Emmanuel is, uh, from my side, I've decided to adopt you as my sending church. And graciously, you have adopted us. And so that has been beautiful. It is my joy, and it is a wonderful privilege to be preaching at Emmanuel Baptist. I'm on location and in living color, unlike our friend Prasad. We're praying that, to see him in our next conference. But I'm standing in front of you today after several years of praying and planning for this Global Impact Missions Conference. So what's the purpose of this weekend? The main purpose of this weekend is to celebrate the Lord's work. Celebrate the Lord's work in the various ministries that you're connected to, and to celebrate the Lord's work here in your congregation. So way back in 2009, a man sitting over there, Mr. Norm Seeley, introduced me to Pastor Sean. And I still remember our first conversation. I was standing in a double-wide trailer in Black Diamond, Washington, and uh, talking about a people group, the Bogota. I'd never heard of them. And evidently, Norm knew that they were in my area. And so God makes these connections. And that, from that starting point until now, wow, there has been amazing things that God has done. The, there are ways that your church has been so diligent and faithful in the missionary task. I mean, firstly, I think of how faithfully you've prayed. You prayed for the salvation of souls and for the planting of churches. You've prayed for this in your community and around the world. Another way is that you have faithfully given to the missionary task. You've given to missions right here and to the nations. I also know that there are some of you that have faithfully gone. You've gone out to do the missionary task. You've done this right here, as well as all the way as far across the world as Russia and India. I mean, all these things should sound familiar. Praying, giving, 
going. These are the means by which the church participates in the missionary task. But this weekend isn't about praising the past, but looking to the future. How will Emmanuel Baptist Church continue to faithfully serve the mission of God? Who will you send? Who of you will go? Today, I submit to you that the missionary task must stand on four foundational truths. Please take out your Bible and turn to Romans 3. The book of Romans is in the New Testament. After the Gospels and the book of Acts, we get to the book of Romans. If you'll turn there, we're going to read chapter 3, verse 21 through 26. In my Bible, it's titled, The Righteousness of God Through Faith. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. The two main sentences there. Starts out 21, but now. The second sentence really starts out with, for there is no distinction. The main point, Pastor Sean and I were talking, that every good sermon should have one big important point. So the main point today is that the greatest problem facing mankind is lostness. And the faith in Jesus is man's only salvation. Let me repeat that. The greatest problem facing mankind is lostness. And faith in Jesus is man's only salvation. Those of you taking notes today, I have four points. Number one, promise. Number two, problem. Number three, provision. And number four, proclamation. For us to get a good grasp on the text, we need to know about the author and his intent. Why did Paul write the book of Romans? He's writing this book to a letter, or he's writing this letter to a church that he's never been to. If you will look with me at Romans chapter 1, Paul is writing not about a problem. Paul writes to the Romans about the doctrine of salvation. In the introduction of the book, chapter 1, verse, or chapter 1, verse 5, Paul tells us that his heart's desire, that he is motivated for doing missions. What's his motivation? His motivation is a desire to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of Jesus' name among all nations. 
That's the motivation for the missionary task in a nutshell. A desire to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of Jesus' name to all nations. So here's point number one. The promise of God. God will save. The first foundational truth for missions is that God will save. He alone accomplishes all the righteousness necessary for salvation. My first point is outlined today in God's promise. God has promised a sinless Messiah who would take away the sin by giving himself as a sacrifice. This sacrifice would satisfy the wrath of God. That's the testimony of the whole law and the prophets. It can be summed up in this. Paul begins verse 21 with the phrase, but now, apart from the law. Paul is teaching us that Jesus achieves righteousness that is separate from the righteousness that could be theoretically gained by following the law. The righteousness that Paul teaches us about is the righteousness accomplished by the Messiah. The promise is that now, the righteousness of God has been revealed in Jesus Christ. Paul is contrasting the purpose of the Mosaic righteousness versus Messianic righteousness. The purpose of Mosaic righteousness was to testify to the whole world that all human beings are accountable for sin. Read with me the, the verses in chapter 3, 19 and 20. Here Paul states, Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and that the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. The law declares that no human being will be justified by works. The purpose of the law is not, is not only to give us a benchmark for righteousness, but to show the whole world that all human beings are sinful and under the judgment of God. Paul is shifting from talking about the law to talking about Jesus. We get law, and now we're going to talk about gospel. Jesus is the turning point in redemptive history. Paul is saying that Jesus fulfilled all righteousness for us. This is the grand revelation that turned the world upside down. Jesus, the Messiah, forgives sins, and he restores us back to God. The promise of God to save sinners is God's from beginning to end. A prominent missiologist at Southern Seminary, Dr. Elliot Clark, he writes, The work of salvation, like the work of missions, is God's from beginning to end. But it is necessarily, but it necessarily involves our effort and sacrifice. The promise of God fuels our effort and sacrifice for missions. This is the work. This is the, the work of missions, and it is our glorious opportunity to participate in the promises of God. Our second point today is the problem. Man is lost. The second foundational truth for missions is that God's greatest problem is lost, or <laughs> that man's greatest problem is lostness. Have you ever thought about 
what your greatest problem is? If I were to take a survey of the room today and say, tell me about your problem. But for the grace of God, you don't know what your greatest problem is. The world does not know. The term lostness simply means the state of being unable to find one's way. Human beings cannot find their way to God. Look at the end of verse 22 and on to verse 23. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I have heard that so many times. And uh, the first part, there is no distinction. That really would have been a shocking truth, not only to Jews, but to Gentiles. Men are not that different. In the first century, division and separation was a constant, constant tension in society. Uh, I would say that that's pretty true about our lives today. There is tension, there is division. When Paul says that God makes no distinction between people, that probably would have grabbed some people's attention. Not for the right reasons. They would have thought, yeah, wait, well, I'm better than him, right? That statement's countercultural. In, in the first century, there's every kind of socioeconomic division, religious division, family division, ethnic division. Anything that you could imagine that results in division, they had it much like we do. When I came back to America, one of the things that I noticed is that America has become polarized. But there are two basic ways that we're all unified. Paul states them here. He says, all have sinned. All have fallen short of the glory of God. Paul is emphasizing that regardless of your ethnic heritage, be that Jew or Gentile, people are sinful. All have inherited a sinful nature. And we actively go on sinning. That's both positional and purposeful sin. All human beings are positionally sinful in that they have inherited a sinful and rebellious nature against God. All human beings are purposely sinful because we willfully, actively choose to sin. Now, Paul has a second distinction here. He says that all have fallen short of the glory of God. At a quick glance, I jumped over that. I assumed that sin and falling short were just kind of restating the same thing. You've sinned, you, you've missed the mark, means you, you've fallen short of the glory of God. I didn't really, it didn't sink in until I started studying it. So, I assumed that they're one and the same thing, but I was wrong. What helped me understand this was the grammar of the sentence. Uh, before I go on, let me fill you in on a secret. I don't like grammar. Um, it's probably because I just don't like rules, right? My mom probably uh, would testify to the fact that I, I, and my wife, would testify to the fact that grammar and I sometimes don't jive real well. But here in this sentence, the grammar indicates that sin is one thing, and he uses the word and, that falling short of the glory of God is another. So on the one side of this sentence, we see all have sinned, meaning all have missed the mark. We've missed the mark 
of righteousness, of doing good. On the other side of this sentence, we have fallen short of the glory of God. Meaning that all have missed the point of life. The point of our existence, the reason we have been created, is to reflect and enjoy the glory of God. To better understand this, I consulted the writings of a modern-day theologian, guys smarter than me, uh, Mr. Legan Duncan. He writes that at the end of days, when the sinner stands before the judgment of God, God will issue the verdict on their life, and it will be that they missed the point. They missed the point for why they were created. God created humanity to experience companionship with God, to share in God's glory. The sinner has failed to receive God's glory, to reflect God's glory, and to glorify God. Therefore, sinners have missed the required righteousness of God, and they have missed the point of their existence. Humanity lost their innocence in Adam, and they lost their relationship with God. The greatest problem is not poverty, minimum wage, or affordable housing. The greatest problem is not human trafficking, modern-day slavery, or immigration. The greatest problem is not the U.S. government, healthcare, or global politics, although many people claim that these are our greatest problems. The greatest problem facing the world today is lostness. That means that man's problem is twofold. It means sin and separation from God. There are many good and right things that we can do. As ministers of reconciliation, the gospel is our priority. The greatest good is gospel good. The ministry of missions must keep the gospel central. All our efforts to reach the community and the world should be gospel-centered and church-specific. If there is a missional drift in the mission away from gospel-centered work, it ceases to be missions. That's what we call social work. Don't hear me saying that social work is unimportant because it's very valuable. I want you to make the point that the church has a gospel mission, not a social one. There are many in the world that can address social issues. In fact, there are no shortage of funds for world hunger, disaster relief. But we, as the people of God, are the only ones that can call people to salvation. Our mission work must not shift from our Savior's mission of addressing the problem of lostness. As a missionary, this is liberating. I have one job. As a church, this should be liberating. We have one job. Probably the hardest thing is making sure that our priorities are in line. Here's our priority, the gospel. Point number three. <laughs> we'll go there. Provision. God's provision for lostness is the blood of Jesus Christ. The third foundational truth for missions is that salvation is only through faith in Jesus. God has made provision for man. 
The provision is twofold. It is justification and restoration. Justification is the action of paying the penalty for sin. Restoration is the action of being reunited with God and with our purpose. Our justice and our restoration is accomplished by God. God has done what only God can do. Our justice means that the penalty for sin has been paid in full. God has made a way of salvation for sinful man. This way of salvation had to be given as a gift to man. Why did it have to be a gift? Because it is impossible for sinful man to have any part in his way of salvation. Sin and separation make it impossible for him to create his own path to God. Man is both positionally and personally incapable of righteousness, right and acceptable action before God. Sinners can't find redemption from the curse of sin, death, and separation from God. In our passage, this is how Paul talks about redemption. He talks about redemption, and he calls it public. This redemption is offered on the mercy seat of God. This redemption is applied to sinners by faith in the blood of Christ. Paul is using Old Testament imagery, and he's painting a New Testament reality. What was testified by the law and the prophets has been made known to us through the testimony of Jesus Christ. The first way he describes redemption is that it is publicly available. Paul wants to emphasize that redemption is available to all, not only to Jews, but to all people everywhere. The missionary task blossoms when it goes out into the world proclaiming Christ. This news about redemption is not private. It's not a secret. It's to be put on public display. The second way Paul talks and describes a redemption is that it is offered on the mercy seat. Now, this is Old Testament imagery. Do you guys, you know about the tabernacle in the Old Testament? And inside the tabernacle, there were different rooms. And in the inner room, the Holy of Holies, we have the Ark of the Covenant. And now the mercy seat is that bowl that sits on top of the Ark of the Covenant. And the Holy of Holies is the, the inner sanctuary where the presence of God resides. And in the Old Testament, the blood of atonement had to be taken in every year and sprinkled on the mercy seat. In the Mosaic Law, the high priest was responsible for going in and offering the sacrifice again and again and again. God would look down on the mercy seat and pass over the sins of the people. Paul is explaining that these Old Testament symbols are pointing to the reality that is now found in Christ. Here's the parallel. Instead of the sacrifice of animals offered for sins... Jesus became the acceptable sacrifice for the sins of men. His death on the cross and his blood is now permanently placed on the mercy seat. You can think of it like this. Jesus has become the mercy seat for mankind. There's no longer a need to go again and again. Jesus is 
the mercy seat. Oh, this is a beautiful text. We see these three ways that Paul is describing redemption. We're going to take a quick look at the last two verses, verses 25 and 26. Read with me. This, and there's a connection between what we just read and these two verses, and it's theologically beautiful. This was to show, this is verse 25, this was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. One of the points I actually want to go back to, I told you two ways, and uh, I want to go back to the third way. How, does, how do you receive this redemption? We've talked about it being public. We've talked about it being on the mercy seat. How does that redemption become yours? It becomes yours through faith. And faith is twofold, right? There's a mental assent to faith, which is, I understand it. But there's something much more important that must take place in the human heart and that that truth must cause a compulsion of the will. And that's God's work in your life. Something is true, but it doesn't actually do anything until you believe that it's truth unto salvation. Truth is applied by faith. Faith in the promise of God and in his redemption. So, and we'll catapult forward here, back to our verse 25 and 26. Uh, let me summarize that scripture for us. God's righteousness is on display in Christ. Paul is saying that there is continuity from the Old to the New Testament. The Old Testament, God is passing over sins through the sacrificial system through the Mosaic Law. But these sins didn't just go away. In God's patience, self-control, and restraint, my translation calls it forbearance, God has now fully removed these sins through the death of Christ. So you can see that all of the sins that were being atoned for for the people of Israel, it's like they're stacking up, right? Right? Sin isn't just dismissed. Sin must be paid for. The blood of animals is insufficient to cover the sins of men. It required a perfect man sacrifice. One who is God and one who is man. These two coming together to provide the perfect sacrifice. The justice obtained in Christ did not miss anything. Jesus paid the penalty for those previously committed sins so that those who believed in the promises of God before Christ would be justified in the same way that those who believe in Christ today. These last few days, we have been focused on the ministry of missions. I want to conclude our time together. I wanted to conclude our time together by preaching a theologically rich, gospel-focused sermon. The centrality of the gospel is essential in the life of the believer, 
in the life of this church and all churches and to the missionary task. Point number four, proclamation. The truth that we will end with today is that the proclamation of the gospel is our joy. The fourth foundational truth for missions is that proclamation of the gospel is the core of the missionary task. Biblical missions is the proclamation of the gospel from the pulpit to the parking lot. We see this proclamation in the church. It is the way in the New Testament that is central. And it comes from the preached word of God. Faithful men entrusted with God's word proclaiming the gospel weekly. We need constantly to be reminded. This is an information. Our souls need a ministry of the gospel continually. Our flesh is constantly driven <laughs> to look away from God's grace. To look away from the gospel. The word of God grounds us and the preached word of God calls us back. In missions, we must raise up leaders and teach them sound doctrine and biblical church practice. Why? So that through the faithful teaching of God's words, believers are equipped to proclaim the gospel. The gospel is good news that must be proclaimed. We are entrusted with this task. I often wonder why there is so much sadness. Why we are so tired in doing good. And perhaps it's because we've taken our eyes off of the joy of our salvation. We have pure joy. And that is something that's missing in the community. Sean, you and I went out the other day, uh, yesterday, and we talked to a man, and I thought, where is his joy? Absolutely something miss missing. We desperately wanted to share the good news of the gospel with him, and he was apathetic. He did not care. Praise be to, and to the glory of God. We are a lighthouse of proclamation to the lost. We do not find our joy and our satisfaction in whether or not they respond. We know they will respond. So. But our joy is in our salvation. The gospel is the good news that must be proclaimed. People have come from all over to fellowship and to focus on missions here at Emmanuel Baptist Church this weekend. Romans 3, 21 through 26 is a rich theological text about the promise of God, the problem of sin, the provisions found in the blood of Christ. What do we do with this knowledge? We proclaim it. We shout it from the rooftops. We tell it to our neighbors. We preach it every Sunday here at the church. And we raise up and send out people for this purpose. Now, this may not have been a sermon that you expected to hear from one of your missionaries. 
Perhaps you expected me to tell some tales of uh, far-off lands and customs, and I could do that. Maybe you expected to hear about the number of people who are facing a crisis eternity in this last hour, and I definitely could do that. My heart is burdened for that. Maybe you expected to hear about my family or about myself. But I wanted to preach a sermon today that listened to the heartbeat of God. God's heart beats for the nations. It is my prayer that this church is stirred by the Holy Spirit to respond to God's heartbeat. It is not guilt. It is not shame. It is the Spirit of God who will work in your hearts to stir you to have the same heartbeat as God intended for this church to have. That's my prayer for us today. That the Spirit of God would be working in you. I go back to the tabernacle. You know what happened when they built the tabernacle? The Holy Spirit stirred and people gave in abundance. There was no requirement. It was joy. Then I cascade a little forward and look at how the temple was built. The temple is built, Solomon's building a temple, and David goes to give to the temple, and he goes above and beyond any requirement of his. So much so that his generals and everybody, they're compelled. And the people of Israel look at this, and they want to participate. That's what the Spirit of God does. He stirs us to participate in the promises of God. In Luke 24, 44 through 48, Jesus says, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the first that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are my witnesses of these things. The church is witness to these things. We, the believers in the room, were once sinners condemned to die, but God gave us the gift of his grace. The gift of faith in the blood of Jesus Christ, and it had to be a gift because we could not earn it. God chose to have grace on us based on no merit of our own. The heartbeat of this church is for the salvation of sinners and the glory of God. The church is fundamentally, they fundamentally have a desire for missions that originates in the heart of God. The promise of God is that he will save sinners. The greatest problem in the world is the lostness of man. Have no doubt. God's provision for the redemption of sinners is faith in the work of Christ. I'll quickly review four foundational truths. 
The first foundational truth for missions is that God saves. He alone accomplishes all righteousness necessary for salvation. Glory be to God. The second foundational truth for missions is that man's greatest problem is lostness. All this truth made known to us, glory be to God for it. The third foundational truth for missions is that salvation is only through faith in Jesus. Faith, not works. The fourth foundational and final truth that I'm submitting to you today is that missions is proclamation of the gospel. It is the core of the missionary task. Biblical missions is proclamation from the pulpit to the parking lot. I submit these four foundational truths, and I tell you that they are essential to healthy missions. The primary motivation for missions at Emmanuel Baptist Church comes from the Spirit of God. I've said that a couple times, and I want to say it again. What will sustain missions until he returns? It is his spirit. And so at this time, I'd like to call Pastor Sean to come up and close out the sermon and close out the 2022 inaugural Global Impact Missions Conference. Thank you so much for having us here this week. Blessings, and may the Lord be glorified.